You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, taking you backstage and behind the scenes at the biggest hits on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I talk to Joe Iconis, the cult favorite composer behind the musical Be More Chill, now playing off-Broadway. The show came and went quietly in 2015 at Two River Theater in New Jersey, but three years later, the original score has racked up a whopping 100 million streams, driven by a national and international fan base that has bought advanced tickets to this new production of Be More Chill to the tune of $1.2 million, which is an astonishing number for a little off-Broadway show that purportedly no one's ever heard of. Iconis is here with me in the studio to talk about his work, his fans, the performance he calls his family, and what's next. Hi, Joe. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So to get the kind of big question out of the way for all the aspiring musical theater creators out there, Mm -hmm. how do you create a grassroots hit musical? (laughs) How do you do that? Um, There are uh, a few steps to doing (laughs) that. Uh, The first one is to write a musical. Right. And then the next step is to have it become a viral sensation. Right. Well, yeah. How does that happen? (laughs) Uh, I do not know. The hilarious thing is that as the writer of one, I could not tell you uh, how one goes about doing it. And I certainly did not try. Right. I didn't set out to write a, 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 a viral, you know, grassroots uh, musical, it just kind of happened. It might not even be possible, right? I don't know how that. I don't think. So. I mean, it's probably yeah. possible. Like now yeah. that it's happened, I feel like we'll see like a lot of people really try to like engineer the very like organic right. and authentic thing that happened with Be More Chill. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then once people start doing that, maybe then I'll be able to like you know figure out how it's actually done. So you don't have a theory about like oh it, it was referred on YouTube it, something you know whatever. Yeah. Whatever. You know, I think it was. I think it was a few things. I think it was sort of like a perfect storm of of uh, shows that were sort of popular around the same time that had some like crossover with my work and, and Be More Chill in particular. Like you know, Like um, the, so The Lightning Thief yeah. uh, is a musical that uh, has a fan base that definitely intersects with the Be More Chill fan base. And the uh, book writer is uh, yeah. the same guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Joe Trace, uh, um, uh, the book writer of Be More Chill, uh, uh, collaborated on The Lightning Thief with a whole bunch of other of a whole bunch of people who I often work with. And so here the the score of the Lightning Thief was written by this guy Rob Rokicki, mm-hmm. uh, who's a good buddy of mine, who's in my band, and uh George Salazar was in the Lightning Thief and it was directed by Stephen Brackett who directed Be More Chill. So it was all this sort of like crossover. Yeah, George Salazar we should say is um uh, one, he's not technically the star of the show, but he is the actor that uh, definitely everybody cheered at when uh, he came out. He is the kind of breakout star, let's yeah, say, right now. For sure, for um, sure. You know, and George kind of was like the, the eye of the storm yeah. as far as like what happened with Bimor Chill a year ago. Um, uh, and I think that was because the George, uh, George's song in Bimor Chill is the song called Michael in the Bathroom. Right. And that was the thing that initially turned people on to the show. You know, it's everyone's entry point. Uh, initially uh, uh, was through that song. And what was your experience of it? Take us through the experience of it. First of all, Mm -hmm. it was a commission, right? It was... Yeah. And how did... Did they bring the novel to you? Did you... Had you read the novel? What was... Um, So uh, I... uh, The novel was... The the novel happened before uh, the commission happened, right? The the novel... Uh, was Your actually, discovery of the novel. My discovery of the novel. Oh, yeah. Yes, right. yes, yes. Uh, the the novel was given to me by uh, by my agent 
just in a very sort of like he had read it and he said, I think there's something here. I think you might be into this. I could see you getting excited about this material. Um, and he, he never really does that. Uh, and it, he hasn't really done it since. You know, it was sort of this, so it was such a random thing. And I, and I read the book and it was a very like no brainer. You know, I read it and, and I felt like, oh, yeah, this is something I can turn into a musical can you get can you identify kind of what exactly about it you thought oh yeah mm-hmm. for sure for sure for sure uh, a few things i think uh, that, we should say actually for we haven't uh, we should talk about the plot a little actually explain the plot while you explain to me what you uh <laughs> responded to in it absolutely so be more and chill is about uh a teenager uh named jeremy here and he is uh like the least special teenager who ever lived there's nothing remarkable about him and he finds out that there is this thing called a squip and a squip is this Japanese supercomputer inside a pill, and uh, teenagers everywhere uh, swallow the squip, and then the supercomputer implants in their brain, and a voice tells them how to behave. And so Jeremy finds out that, oh, all these kids who like have it together in high school have it together because there's this Japanese supercomputer that's telling them how to go about their lives. Uh, and so that's essentially the, the, the plot of Be More Chill. And the, uh, the novel uh, written by uh, the late great Ned Vizzini uh, uh, really excited me because of the characters, first and foremost. You know, I loved that they were these teenage characters that felt, uh, they felt like, you know, they were, uh, in some ways they were archetypes, but they were really sort of like falling in between the lines. Like they're all kind of messy and it's, it, it, they were characters that felt real, even though they were living in this heightened world. And uh, I, I, I just immediately responded to that. You know, it's a, it's a story that's solely populated by um, kids who feel like misfits, kids who feel like they don't quite fit in anywhere. Uh, and uh, I just, uh, I, 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 in, my, in my career, I've naturally returned to characters like that, be they, you know, high school kids or, you know, adults or, or, uh, or, or, or animals, whatever. It's like I, I right. continually write about people who feel like they don't belong. And so that was like an immediate, like, oh, yeah, I love these, I love these people that I'm reading about. And then um, the, uh, the idea of these uh, really, like, you know, relatable, specific characters uh, kind of bumming around in this sci-fi story uh, was really exciting to me. And, you know, I've written shows about young people before. I love writing uh, young characters. But the thing that was like, oh, man, this is this is a show to spend some years working on uh, was the opportunity to talk about these huge issues and these issues that you know that young people experience in a very real uh, slash heightened way, um, but that you know adults experience as well to 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 explore these issues through this this lens of like a sci-fi right. comedy, yeah. you know, which was really different than other stuff I've done. Yeah, and so so you. Got a commission from Two River mm-hmm. in New Jersey, and yeah, yeah. then the show happened. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? What? So the show, uh, the show happened in the spring of 2015, and a lot of the people who were in that production are now in it. Uh, this off-Broadway production, yeah, yeah, right? we're like half and half, half and half, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, including George, uh, including, yeah, 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 including Salazar for real. Uh, we, uh, you know, leading up to the opening of the show at Two River, uh, everyone was really excited. It felt like there was a huge amount of momentum. Um, I've been in this this 
position a few times in my career where like I'm working on a new musical and everyone's like, oh man, this one is going to blow up. Like this is going to be the one that like, you know, goes into New York and is at a fancy nonprofit and goes to Broadway and does that whole thing. Um, and that was definitely there with Be More Chill. The audiences in Jersey were like loving it. They were all like, we've never seen anything like this. It felt like there was a real connection. Um, and then we opened and, uh, you know, we got a review in the Times uh, that was sort of like meh. And uh, that just like made everything disappear, which is what happens when you have a uh, new musical that doesn't have any famous people and doesn't have a commercial producer attached and um, and isn't based on a a bankable property. Uh, It just kind of goes away. And it was so disappointing. Everyone working on it was like the most um, the most sure that we were going to get to, you know, continue on with the show. and, And it didn't happen. And so it was this really like. It was just a, a a big disappointment for a while, you know. And the the magic thing that happened is that Two River Theater said, even though the show is clearly not going on, we're really proud of it, and we want to preserve it. We want to make a cast album of the show. Uh, Ghostlight Records, Kurt Deutsch, uh, who's been a big supporter of mine my whole career, he came to see the show, and he uh, felt similarly. Similarly, uh, he felt like. Um, you know, the score deserved to be preserved on on record. And so we made this album uh, a couple months after we closed. Two River uh, uh, produced it and made it happen. And and it was released the Halloween uh, after we closed. So a few months after we closed, the album was out. And this would have been Halloween 2015, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... The um, you know the album people people liked it, but it was the kind of thing where the you know the the amount of people who liked the Be More Chill cast album are the amount of people who you would think would like the the cast album of a musical that no one had ever heard about that played for five weeks in New Jersey. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like not um, it, it was everyone was like perfectly thrilled, but like that everyone could you know fit in um, a club, right. probably like literally called Fifty Four Below. Like that's everyone who cared about the Be More right. Chill album, uh, and so. Um, it was just kind of it was just kind of there, you know, and I tried so hard to get the show back on a stage anywhere um, in the you know the subsequent years and, and no one um, no one was interested, uh, which I understand. And then uh, in the spring of 2017, which is just like a little over a year ago, uh, I just started noticing truly out of the blue uh, social media, Attention for Be More Chill. And it was the kind of thing where I would get, like, tagged and, you know, an Instagram uh, post about about a character in the show where people would be tweeting, like, lyrics. And it, it, it you know, I have a, I have a, a, I have a fairly healthy sort of culty fan base, you yep. know, and I've had that for a while. And um, so I, I've been, I've been lucky enough to, 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 you know, have people tell me they like my stuff and, and get excited about my work online. Um, but this was like nothing like I had ever experienced before. And so it got to a point where, um, and everything was about Michael in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where I, uh, you know, I, I, I texted uh, George Salazar, who, you know, I'm very good friends with and who I work with all the time. And I was like, do you, did you do something with Be More Chill? Like, is something happening that I don't know about? And he said, I was going to ask you the same thing. I'm getting all of this Be More Chill attention. Uh, the same thing happened with Joe Trace. And so the three of us were kind of like, what, you know, what's going on? Everyone thought someone else had been doing something, but no one had. And so it sort of, you know, started growing and growing and growing. And when it first started, you know, it was the kind of thing where I... You know, I called you know, like Shigaboom, uh, Ghostlight, who put out the album, and said, you know, there like something is happening with this album. Like people are actually 
listening to it and it feels like it's for some reason in you know uh in the culture in a way that it has not been in the last two years um and you know ghostlight they're amazing but their initial response was sort of like oh yeah 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 you know <laughs> that's cute i'm glad that you know some kid in idaho tweeted at you and now you think that you know, right. you, know you think that you're gonna be on top of the world or something um but then of course you know within a matter of weeks uh like numbers started coming in and then ghostlight was like wait a minute like people are actually buying this. Why are right. they buying it? And so then, you know, Kurt Deutsch then called me and he's like, are you doing something with Be More Chill? What's going on? It's like, man, I don't know. It's just <laughs> happening. Right. Uh, and so it... Uh, and we should say that the fans do uh, an extraordinary amount of fan art. Uh, there are oh. these things called animatics, which are essentially animated storyboards, mm-hmm. right? And there's, you know, one for Michael in the bathroom. And I guess the rest of the score made by the same... Oh, all, all of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. And... Um, I'm told there were action figures at a recent performance of homemade action figures, obviously, of characters in the Oh, show. my gosh. Yeah, I, I have seen the most extraordinary art yep. created by uh, kids and adults uh, based on Be More Chill. I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, it's just, it's extraordinary. And, uh, and also, like, fan, the fan fiction is also a huge thing, which is a world that I knew nothing about. Also, I should point out that I have never seen security and crowds at the signature center waiting to stage door actors coming out i mean this was it's the fan reaction is extremely vocal in the room and then extremely uh, sort of rabid but not in a scary way at least it didn't seem in a scary way it just seemed very avid and very um very excited yeah you know and i think that the the first few previews especially had a had a particularly you know excitable And people have come from all around the country. And oh, yeah. Also, it sounds like around the world, if they haven't yet, they will be. I know their tickets I, have been bought from around the world. Yesterday, I met someone from Australia who came specifically to see the show. Wow. At the matinee, at the evening, I met multiple people from Thailand who did not know each other, who were there. Wow. Uh, Sweden. I mean, li- literally, Brazil, like, all all over. And we've only we've played seven performances. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we're early in the run right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I think that part of the, like, the passion at these early shows, too, is that these, these are people who have truly loved this, this, this piece of theater for a year, and they've just never seen it. Like, it's, it, it's, what's so crazy about it is that it's the, you know, the, so at, at every performance, multiple people have said to me, like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm at Hamilton. You know, like, as right. far as the audience reaction, and it's, that is not That's not wrong. Incorrect. I was sitting yeah. in the middle of it the other night. Like, yeah. that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's just, we have, we have the reaction of, like, a mega hit show without having actually, like, had the hit show first. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like what happens to a show right. when it becomes that kind of hit. Yeah. We just, there was never a show in the first place. And so we right. have this bizarre situation where, like, we're in early previews and we have the, this audience that's, like, going nuts for it. Right. Um, right. Which is, you know, both, like, good, good and bad in, in yeah. some ways. Let's talk a little bit about your process and how, mm-hmm. and how you work. Um, which comes first for you, music or lyrics? Uh, it's they both kind of come at the same time, you know. It's uh, it's weird. I'm a really messy writer, and so what does I that mean? It, uh, it means like literal mess, or just in terms of snippets here and there. Like, um, it, all of those things you just said. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I it, it means that I, uh, for starters, I don't I don't have like a set time of day that I write. You know, I I, I know writers who are super rigid and like, yeah, I, I wake up right. and then I have six hours of writing, and that's when I write. And, um, and I just can't do that, you know? And uh, and so for me, when I do write, I'll usually, like, obsess over an idea for a long time. 
and then when I actually put pen to paper, um, I've, I feel like I've already like sort of written the song in my head before I actually start you know writing writing it. And usually I'll start with a hook or some major sure. idea, um, and that will usually that will always be actually lyric driven. It'll be the words. And then in those words, there's usually some sort of implied music in my head. Mm. Uh, and then I just kind of go back and forth, you know, and I, I write, um, I, I, I bounce around a lot when I write. So I'll, I'll, I'll start, you know, at, uh, at a coffee shop and then I'll go to a piano and then I'll, you know, go to a bar and then I'll pace around my apartment. And I like to sort of, you know, right. bop around as I'm making stuff. How long does it take to write a song? If you've done this pre thinking that yeah. you, how long does then a song usually take you it's it's truly different mm. for every every song you know it's like the ultimate depending on the needs of the patient it's gonna take as long or as short um you know i there are songs in be more chill that feel like they've taken you know four years to write because i i you know worked on them in new jersey you know leading up to the show and couldn't get it right and they're still working on it here and you know still not getting it right and, and so it's like oh that song's a year in the making and then there's other songs like there's a song in the show called uh, a guy that i'd kind of be into that i had to yeah. write in a pinch when we were in rehearsals for the first production um and it was just one of those things where like we had this time to stage this number i knew i needed a number there uh and i i just it's like if i'm not, if i don't write this now this thing's never going to end up in the show and so i you know ran away and in 40 minutes i had the whole song right so like it's just it's you know it it, it, it and it's always a surprise to me i never know how quickly something will will come or how you know the, torturous the process will be and what makes a good musical theater song in your view um, I think that a good musical theater song is uh, is one that takes uh, takes the the audience on a journey of some kind. Uh, it feels kind of kind of like cheesy to even say that, uh, but uh, it's the truth. You know, I think a good musical theater song you start in one place and you finish in another, and that's kind of like the the simplest thing. You know, you should be moving some somewhere somehow. You know, and I think that the sort of common uh, notion about musical theater writing and musical theater songs is that you know if the song doesn't move the plot forward you have to cut it um, but I don't always think that I think if the song is moving a character forward or you know um, or, or, or whatever that's that's totally valid you know um, but it's that it's 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 movement I think right and rhyme I'm like the biggest stickler for rhyme oh really oh my god yeah <laughs> I get made fun of so badly by, by who? Who are by the people like, who are making fun of your rhymes? Like other musical theater writers. <laughs> I like literally feel picked. I feel like I'm like Poindexter over here trying to you know <laughs> make, to make rhymes perfect out. rhymes. Yeah. What I, I I oh my god I've had so many uh, truly like fights about it because I'm I'm like kind of a bitch about it. Um, but I'm I'm proud of that. I like I you know I've said so many times like there's no such thing as a perfect rhyme because it either rhymes or it doesn't. Like wow! Just, All right, those are fighting words. It, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's like it, you know, it just it it it's, right. it's language, it's syllables, it's it's uh, it, a word rhymes or it yeah. does not. Um, aside from perfect rhyme, what in <laughs> musical theater would you like to see more of? I would like to see uh, more of musicals that are populated by characters and people uh, who don't look like robots uh, who don't look like sort of sparkly musical theater robots. Mm -hmm. I like seeing interesting, um, strange human beings on a stage. And I like when those interesting and strange human beings have material 
uh, written for them that is worthy of their uh, strangeness. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something I would love to see. I would love to see more uh, just personality-driven work. You know, I feel like a lot of musicals that I see, especially in in the commercial sphere, uh, they feel a little bit like musicals musicals made by committee you know it's like i feel like sometimes you see a show and i just it's like i can hear the the conversations you know behind the scenes about which number is gonna offend the least amount of people and uh and it uh it just gives everything the sameness that that kind of bugs me and i, and I think what's so funny about it is that it, it, it oh it seems it without fail the shows of every season that are like the hit shows are the ones that don't do that. Like they're always the shows that are strange and that didn't follow the rules and that feel like, you know, the shows that people like love to call like edgy in quotation marks and downtown in quotation marks. Those are always the ones that are like the successful ones. But it seems, you know, from from for me at least, it feels like as someone who 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 definitely you know lives in that world, um, it, it's so hard to get people to get behind the that kind of writing you know so i just want to see more shows that will make it easier for me to get my shows produced (laughs) i'm just totally selfish no (laughs) i feel like being a creator of musical theater is one of the hardest uh i don't know kind of aspects of the business to break into right Mm -hmm. i mean just in part because first of all you have to find collaborators you Mm -hmm. you like right and click with and then just in order to get people to hear or see your work you have to like get some actor like hire the actors and rent a studio and hire some musicians and record a demo and Mm -hmm. it just feels like the barrier to entry is uh, even higher than it is for a lot of uh, other um do you what's your advice for aspiring musical theater creators who um yeah my uh my advice is to uh to immerse yourself in the community uh, whatever that means to you or whatever that, you know, be that like the, the, the theater community in New York or wherever you're from, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard because as, as you said, there's no, there's no rule book, you know, there's no, like, there's, there's no how to become a musical theater writer. It's so nebulous and it's so scary. And for me, the thing that, the thing that saved me and the thing that allowed me to enter into the world was literally just, finding people who are doing the same thing and connecting with them and learning from them and um, being open. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't go to the NYU graduate musical theater writing program, um, I never would have been able to enter the musical theater world. Also because my, my personality, especially the, the time when I was sort of, you know, finishing undergrad and going into grad school, I was like super reserved. I um, never thought that I was the sort of person who would be able to like sing in front of people or, you know, which we should say you do regularly. You, you I, perform I as Iconos and family. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 All the time. And, um, and that felt so beyond anything I would ever imagine doing the thought of like going up to someone and introducing myself and being like, hi, I'm Joe. I wrote a musical. You should do it. Like truly just beyond terrifying to me, like panic attack city. Um, and so for me going to that program and just being around all these other people who are writing musicals and are for the most part, just as confused, um, made me feel like, okay, this is something that human beings do (laughs) and they start somewhere and this is that place. And then, you know, you, you, you just learn how to, how to like swim in the pond or you learn like this isn't for me and you get out of there. And the, uh, and family of Iconos and family that you perform with, is Mm -hmm. that 
is that sort of an outgrowth of that community that you found? Um, is that how you found a lot of those people? Yeah, for sure. You know, I um, when I first when I first graduated school, I uh, had a musical that was in development uh, with a with a nonprofit theater, and I sort of felt like, oh, cool. My musical um, is in development with this theater. It's going to open off Broadway. It'll transfer to Broadway. I'm going to be set for life. Right. Awesome. And like, right. clearly that didn't happen, and it's like not the way it works. And right. I didn't know about like musical theater development timelines when I graduated. <laughs> uh, and so after you know like a year, I felt like, wait a minute, I'm writing all of these songs, and I have all of this stuff, and no one's hearing it, and that doesn't seem correct. And so I was like, I want to just put on a show, and it came from like the most um, you know, just uh, the, the cheesy, like, you know, let's put on a show in the backyard kind of right. thing. I didn't know how to do that at all. And so I found a theater company um, that was, you know, run by someone I knew and was like, hey, can, like, I want to do a, a, some, a show with my songs. How do we do that? And they helped me out. Um, and so then that's how this sort of like iconic and family thing was born. Right. And or just as far as like me doing shows was born, yeah. and um, the the more and more I started doing those those shows, the the more and more I started meeting you know actors and people and and kind of formed this group you know and it was just literally just actors or musicians who I would see and I was a fan of and I would just say hey you know I saw you perform at this gig or I saw you in this play and I think you're great and uh, if you want to come sing with me. Uh, let's do it, you know. And and at the time when that when we first started doing the shows, like two thousand, you know, seven two thousand eight, um, there wasn't quite as much of a musical theater concert scene as there was as there is now. Yeah. And so it sort of felt like this like kind of new thing, you know. And even in the context of the musical theater context, concert scene, most of the shows that I would go see, as far as new musical theater shows, felt like like recitals to me. Like they always felt like you know like a night of songs by such and such composer with like music stands, um, which is totally valid. But I always felt like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to do something that feels like a cross between a, a like sort of classic cabaret, like, you know, Don't Tell Mama in 1989 cabaret yeah. and like a full blown rock concert. Um, and so I just sort of approached it in a different way from the get go. And um, yeah. What's next for B. Marchell after, after it's run off Broadway? Uh, I don't know. You know, we're really hoping that it uh, it moves on to another life yeah. post off Broadway. Um, of course, that's like not totally in the control of, of certainly not in the control of myself. Right. <laughs> um, a lot of things need to you know happen. A lot of things need to line up. But I mean, we're you know we're really we're not good. We're doing super well off Broadway as far as things like ticket sales and you know and audience reaction. Yeah, and all yeah that. really unusually well for a show that, uh, as you said, you know played uh, five weeks in New Jersey. The end. Yeah. Up until now. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's no famous people in it. And right. there's no, I mean, you know, like sort of theater, like Will Roland is theater famous. Right. Will Roland is the, uh, plays the, um, the, I was about to say title character, but his name is, uh, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, he's he was a le in, leading man. Yeah. Leading yeah. man. And he was, uh, in the original, or at least in the Broadway cast of Dear Evan Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and even that. And what's hilarious though is that people people have talked about Will Rowland as sort of being like star casting, which I mean is hilarious to me for so so many reasons. <laughs> uh, you know, because it's like it's that's also like such a theater thing, or like these people that we build up and be like, oh, well, you know, you have to put like this, you know, quote unquote star in the show, and it's like nobody knows who these people are, yeah. and nobody knows who Will Rowland, no one knows who I am, right. uh, and but whatever. But uh, but Will is someone who I Will does Will's been in like the Iconiston family stuff for ten years. You know, I've, I've known Will for literally 10 years and um, and have worked with him on so many shows and the fact that now he's like the leading man 
in my musical, and people talk about him like it's star casting is just the the coolest, most hilarious thing. Right? I love it. Well, I can't wait to see what happens with the show. Me too. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was yeah, fun. Nice to talk to you. That was Joe Iconis on his popular new musical, Be More Chill, now playing at Off-Broadway's Signature Center. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. On the next episode of StageCraft in two weeks, I talk to Andy Carl, the Broadway favorite now starring in the new musical adaptation of Pretty Woman. Until then, see you at the theater. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.